0: Let's pray. Father, please speak through me this morning. Use your words, use your scripture, use the letter of James to proclaim truth and wisdom to us. Use my lips and allow me to proclaim what is good and beautiful and true. Please allow us to ignore the distractions and and the restrictions this morning and put our focus firmly in the truth of this passage, so that we can follow its lead in asking you for the appropriate things. We need your help this morning. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, New Life Church. That is insufficient. I already queued up 9 a.m., so... I mentioned, frankly, we, we must do better than this. I haven't preached live since December. Obviously, I've been on the screen a couple times, you guys have seen, seen that happen. I preached in this room with no one here. That's hard. Because preaching is, I will will give you what scripture says with, with an authority and you get to respond to it. And preaching to an empty room is painful. Because people, when you say Jesus is king, no one says anything. And you're speaking to an empty room. And my thought has been okay, we get to come back. And I know to a high degree of certainty that many of you have been watching the screen for seven months. I know there was some watch parties and there got to be some live preaching outside, but by and large, we've been watching a screen for seven months and it's been a monologue, not a dialogue. And a church service, a church gathered to hear God's word is gathered so that they can respond to God's word. That's what we're doing right here. That's what we're doing. That's why we sing songs to respond to God's word. And we were going to sing afterwards to respond to God's word. But you don't have to wait till the end of the service to respond to God's word. So. Let's try this again. Good morning New Life Church. Good morning. There we go. King Jesus is alive and well. Amen? Amen. And it is good to worship him together. Amen. Amen. And hear his word preached together. Amen? Amen. We can keep this going, my friends. We can keep going for a while. If you feel the urge to agree, please agree. Please agree. I would love for us to just reset. We don't have to be like the quiet little Baptist church we were before. We can be a louder Baptist church. It's okay. And all of this, all of this sitting, we have masks on, I have a shield on, I can see the reflection of the back of my head and it's really distracting. All of these things are pretty difficult. Things are hard right now, aren't they? It's hard. The very fact that it is novel to be watching someone in the flesh, in a building, preach, that proclaims there's a trial going on, right? That's exactly what that says. There are many trials right now, broad, sweeping trials. Usually, if I do an intro like this, I have to come up with a bunch of generic things and say them broad enough so that people go, oh yeah, yeah, I relate to that, and oh yeah, I relate to that one, and oh yeah, I relate to that so that everyone can relate and everyone can, can buy in before we start, start going. Right now, everyone is hit by the wide, big trials. Everyone knows. Everyone has, sit, has sat in it and has been sitting for seven months. You all sit there knowingly. Yeah, of course there are trials. There are big trials and they hit us all in the face. And in the midst of those broad trials, the normal difficulties have not taken a hiatus. The focus trials, the personal trials, the family trials. They didn't take a break. They didn't say, Oh, you got some really big stuff going on. We're gonna we're gonna wait about a year and then we'll come back maybe. No. It's all still going. Which makes everything just harder, right? It's hard. All these trials that hit your life and not others, they have not stopped. And you may be saying, and I hope you are saying in a a prayerful posture, I want to weather these trials well, but I don't know how. I need something more. And last week we read, and Scott preached from the beginning of James, and James says, count it all joy. That's how he starts the letter. I don't know. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, he just assumes, You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And perhaps you look on this side of a trial, you meet a trial, you come face to face with a trial and think, I'm not there yet. I'm not yet perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, I lack something, I lack wisdom to meet these these trials with joy. I lack wisdom to see how on earth God could use any of these to mold my character to perfection and completion. I lack wisdom to know the right way to interact in this world. I need understanding. I need God-given knowledge. Do you agree? This morning, James in the next seven verses will show us How to ask for that which we lack. So we can weather trials well. Trials are weathered best by those who faithfully ask the giver for wisdom. That's the thing to remember. Trials are weathered best by those who faithfully ask the giver for wisdom. And James, throughout verses 5-11, through will almost go through a proverbial dance. And by proverbial, I mean like the Proverbs. In the Old Testament. He's going to show a wise response. Then he's going to show a foolish response. And then another wise response. And then a foolish response. And then he's going to slide. And then he's going to, no. So expect that back and forth as we read. Wise, foolish, wise, foolish. In verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, And it will be given him. That's a masterful segue from James. Because before that, he says, These trials, they will give you steadfastness, and steadfastness with its full effect will leave you perfect and complete. And once you get through this trial, once you get all through these trials, you will be lacking in nothing. But with the end in mind, it snaps back to the practical present. Do any of you lack wisdom? I lack wisdom. I know there's something that you don't have in abundance. James knows. We're not there yet. We're here. And what is this wisdom? This is a big theme. This is a big thing of, theme of James, a big theme, theme of Scripture, honestly. Wisdom is the virtue of having knowledge about the divinely ordered world, giving you a proper perspective and action. Wisdom is the ability to look at the world and its circumstances and see how it all connects to the Creator God, how it all connects to the Redeemer God. Wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and in light of it, act in a worshipful way, in light of it, act in a way that glorifies God. Who wants wisdom? I want wisdom. Can I say, yes, me? Say that, yes. (laughs) Wisdom is not merely a worldly savvy or a clever way to walk about the world. Wisdom comes from God. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to start to get wisdom, you get the fear of the Lord first. Proverbs 2.6 says, It is the Lord who gives wisdom. We read that at the beginning of the service. If one accidentally stumbles upon the right action in a given situation, but they don't know God, they are not working out of wisdom. Wisdom is the virtue that allows you to meet trial with joy. It is the knowledge that can say, God can mold my character with this trial. God can bend brokenness for my good and my joy. He can bring himself glory with this, even this. Wisdom is the quality of knowing God and his character. And when plopped into a situation... Wisdom is able to navigate it in a way that glorifies Him and practices justice and righteousness. Let's plop you into a pandemic. What do I do? Wisdom can answer that question. How do I honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor? Wisdom can answer that question. What do I do when I sit in a trial and this part of the world has this solution and this part of the world has this solution? Are either, either of them even the right solution? What do I need? I need wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Firstly, this is a point that only God can give you wisdom. Proverbs, again, for the Lord gives wisdom. It's it's all through Scripture. But secondly, this is a loving reminder that the God of wisdom wants you to ask Him. God is and desires to be and plans to be and will be a good giver. Let Him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given Him. Friends, God the Father is a good giver. He will not scoff at you when you ask for wisdom. God's response is not disbelief. God does not say you you don't know what to do? You don't know what to do in this in this pandemic? A hundred-year pandemic, you don't know what to do? You don't you don't have knowledge for this trial? You don't understand the entirety of all creation and my plan for all time in history, so you know how to act appropriately in this situation? That's not God's posture. He will not reproach or rebuff you when you say, I don't even know how to think in this mess. I don't know how to act in this trial. I don't know how to think about this trial. Whatever the trial is, please give me wisdom. God is ready to listen. Scripture over and over and over, from the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels to God's name of Abba Father in Romans all these things remind us that God has his posture toward us. As an eager father waiting for his children to ask so he can help. God is ready to listen and wants to give. There's a reminder in Matthew 7. Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Imperfect parents, bad parents, know how to give some good gifts. But the perfect Father, the Heavenly Father, knows and gives the best gifts. When life is hard and you don't know what to do, what do you need? Wisdom. And who can you ask? God. And is He reluctant or willing? Willing. 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 Is he stingy or generous? generous? Generous. That is our God. A generous giver. A God of wisdom. James continues. He was, he was with the fool, and now he's with the wise, and he's going to start to dance towards the fool. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let him ask in faith. Before we talk about the foolish part of this dance, I suppose we should stop right here. We stop for wisdom. So what is faith? Another big theme of Scripture. English translates here the Greek word pistis. Sometimes in Scripture it denotes simply belief or trust. But it will be very helpful for you, especially in James, to hear a broader definition when you hear the word faith. I want you to hear the word faithfulness. And in more than just consistency, commitment, firm commitment, faithfulness to a relationship, faithfulness to a covenant. You see, brothers and sisters, I can say that because of the work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you are in Christ And that means that God has established a covenant relationship with you. He has placed you in his family. He has purchased you and ransomed you. He has put a new heart within you and made you one of his own. He gave his son so he could apply Jesus' death and resurrection to you. And he has made promises that he has sealed with a word that cannot be failed. That cannot be thwarted. And with blood that binds forever. You are in covenant with God, and to live in faith or to ask in faith is more than just, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I would check that box if it was asked of me. Yeah, I agree with that. We are not speaking of assent here. Faithfulness is loyalty to a covenant, clinging to a covenant. It is active, not passive. Faith is reciprocal covenant relationship to God. Faithfulness to the covenant relationship. I've been married to Leslie since October of 2013. There's there's a specific moment in time where we entered into a covenant. I can look back at that moment and go, yep, that's the point where I entered that covenant. But friends... you know it's about so much more than looking back and saying, oh yeah, I I believed back then. I I was connected in relationship back then. That is my moment of faith. That, that, That shows that I'm faithful. That posture, that response does not exemplify faithfulness. Is anyone married thinking, yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, that'll work. Faithfulness is daily. There are opportunities to live faithfully or not every day. I can prioritize the covenant every day. I can organize my life around that to which I am faithful. My faithfulness is based on how I live every day. I set up my life in loyalty and clinging to my wife. My life is lived as one in faithfulness to the covenant of marriage, my marriage with Leslie. And faith here in James is living in faithfulness to God and his covenant relationship with you. I want for you, New Life Church, I pray that you would be a faithful people. That you would be a people characterized by your fidelity to the covenant relationship with God. The one to which you have all been graciously attached. That that faith would characterize your coming and your going, your enduring and the meeting of trials. And that it would characterize your asking of the giver for wisdom. I want that for you. James says, but let him ask in faith. With your allegiance fully set, ask with faithfulness. He says, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Friends, only God is the giver of wisdom. Don't come foolishly asking God for wisdom as a plan B or a plan C or as a secondary option. God is not an alternative among many. Do not come doubting. This Greek word holds the idea of two judgments. Do not come asking God with two judgments about God in mind. One judgment being, I think you are the God of wisdom. And another judgment being, I think there's something out there that is more able than God. Can you see the uncertainty there? Can you see the doubting there? Can you see the picture of the sea? the waves are coming up and the wind comes from the east and oh, I can go that way. And the winds come from the west. Oh, I can go that way. There's no faithfulness there. No one wants to be wind-tossed waves. They are not the paragon of faithfulness. They are not the epitome of fidelity. Just ponder in your head, would I want my spouse to be like wind-tossed waves? That should be repulsive. And James says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Why would an unfaithful person expect anything from a covenant relationship to which he has no fidelity? A double-minded man, literally a double-souled man. This is the opposite of faith here. This is describing the person that has a basic conflict of loyalties. And it is such that his internals are doubled. He can face two directions at the same time. There is reason we talk about a two face as a treacherous person. Where does your loyalty lie? To whom do you have fidelity? Where is your identity? Is it founded on the bedrock of the covenant relationship God willingly gave you? Is it your wonderfully unexpected and beautiful status of being in Christ? You don't need a mistress. You don't need a thing on the side. The double-souled man must not suppose that they will receive anything because they come to God as though he is a diminished ally, as a secondary relationship, a second-rate option. Even if you say, I'm equal parts with God and equal parts something else. Nothing deserves to share allegiance with God. Well, I'm a Christian and a family man. These two things are equally important. No. I'm a Christian and a party member. I don't care which party. No. I'm a Christian and I really like this ideology and I'm going to align. No. I'm a Christian. I really like this theory or this ism or whatever. Stop. Ponder your allegiance. Ponder your temptations. Ponder what aspects of this world, what so-called wisdoms of this world are a temptation for your allegiance. A temptation to abandon your faithfulness. Ponder what would have you blowing like the wind-tossed wind. Oh, I like that over there. Oh, and I like that over there. And reject those temptations. Run to God who gave you relationship and ask Him for wisdom and ask Him in faith in faithfulness. Friend, if you, feel, if you feel that pressure from the Holy Spirit pointing out your double nature, if you are asking that question, what do I do if I am a double-souled one? James speaks to this later in this letter, in chapter four. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So in short, you repent. You turn away from the wrong direction, the wrong allegiances, and you seek God alone. Don't sit there waiting for the next wind to blow you about. Lean into God alone. Run to Jesus. He is the cleanser, the purifier, The reconciler. Abandon your other allegiances. Ask him for wisdom. He listens. We've talked about where we go for wisdom. Now we talk about what it is we boast. What do you need to give you confidence when the trial comes? About what will you be shouting from the rooftops? What will form the melody of the song that you sing? James continues in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And what do you boast? And what do you proclaim proud connection? I belong here. James jumps back into the dance between the wisdom and the foolishness. And he says, the lowly brother, the small brother, the one whose status and station are not in the accounting of this world. He doesn't show up on the lists. The one who would have his empty pockets turned out. The one who has no ability to protect himself from trials because of his resources. Or because of his influence. Or because of his relationships. His capital is not getting it done. The lowly brother. And James shouts an imperative. And what does the lowly brother boast? James says, let the lowly brother Boast in his exaltation. What? What is exalted about the lowly? He's not tall among men. He's not recognized. He's not notable. He's not a who's who. He's not exalted. Friends, ask God for wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom that we can see this world correctly and exaltation appropriately the primary status of the lowly brother is not that he is lowly but that he is a brother and why is he a brother because of king jesus because we have been adopted into the family of jesus and what do we know about this king jesus where does he sit he sits on a throne At the right hand of God, a king over the entire universe. And if you are a brother, you are in Christ. And if he is exalted, you are exalted. So let the lowly brother boast because his station outclasses the stations of this world. He is higher than them because his connection with the exalted king of the universe. That's why you boast. He sits in status and in the future in the flesh with the King of the Universe. Is that not reason to boast? Yeah. Amen. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation because he's connected to Jesus. And he continues in the rich in his humiliation. And the rich, what does he boast in? This brother, this sister, that in the eyes of the, Lord, the eyes of the world has the high station. They have the resources. If they turn their pockets out, they're going to drop a bunch of dollar bills on the floor. They have capital. They have margin. They have means. And what do they boast? They boast in their humiliation. And here's where Christ and his work proclaim in the good news the work of the gospel. Christ is the great equalizer. The lowly can boast in an exaltation because they are connected to Christ and the rich can boast in the humiliation, the humility of Christ. That the second member of the Trinity, Christ, the Son of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form like us. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humiliation. So the rich can boast in their humiliation that they have because of their connection with Jesus. The rich brother boasts differently than the rich of this world. The rich rich brother says, all this stuff? This stuff doesn't matter. You know what matters? I belong to the king who owns everything. I belong to the God who created everything. And I belong to the God who became small. And in his smallness, I was redeemed. In his humility, I was reconciled. In his death, I was purchased. I will boast in the ultimate humiliation. The creator God died on a cross and I can boast because that death is my death. His death is my death. So, whether lowly or rich, you boast, if you have wisdom, wisdom that is found in the person of Christ, whether lowly or rich, you boast in Jesus, the symmetrical good news of his exaltation and his humiliation. And when you come up against those trials, you can boast not because of your stuff, not because of your status in the world. You boast because of your status in Jesus, which offsets whatever status or station in this world you have. That's good news, is it not? That's good news. James continues. James jumps back to, we were over here on the wise, he's gonna jump back to the foolish response to finish out this passage. Where the wise response is, It's to boast in your status and identification with Christ, whether lowly or rich. The foolish is to trust, boast, or depend on the riches. Do not lean into your wealth as a means of sustaining you. Because, he says, like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Friends, the rich of this world ought to boast in the humiliation of Jesus. If they don't, but instead decide to boast in their wealth, they will themselves be humiliated. This is a stark irony. There is a humiliation to boast in that has already occurred. That's the humiliation of Jesus. Or there is a humiliation to anticipate if you boast in the weaker thing. This is a warning for the rich man that you, that would stick to his pursuits. Wealth does not last. Riches do not endure. It is like the passing flower of the grass. Nothing to depend on. Ponder, ponder the Santa Ana winds. Ponder the dry winds that come from the sun-scorched eastern deserts. We live in the Pacific Northwest, and we are used to the natural air conditioning of the Pacific Ocean. Typically, often, normally, the winds blow from the west. It flows over the top of the ocean and cools down, grabbing moisture on its way inland. It comes over the Cascades and arrives into the Willamette Valley, our home, and it is a cool, lovely breeze. Well, what happened just a month ago? What's happening? The scorching heat came. The dry winds came, the winds from the opposite direction. It dried all vegetation and it dried the trees out. And what was once dependable and strong and resilient became simple kindling. I remember walking about in those extremely smoky days. I was was looking out, walking outside, and you could look at the trees or the grass, and everything looked frail and dry, no longer lush and full of water, but ready to combust. It seemed at the slightest bit of friction or a little bit of added heat. The wealthy of this world fade away like dry grass when the winds come. There is nothing to boast in here. Do not, like the fool, pump up your chest thinking the material abundance I have will sustain me. When you come up against trials, don't go, I got enough. I can can withstand this. Do not boast in your well-adorned house thinking, I cannot be touched here. I am protected here. I will boast in my status and my status, my wealth. Don't, Don't do that. Wealth is temporary and cannot hold up to your trials, and it can definitely not hold up to the finality of history, the finality of the future end of this story. When this broken world is undone and made new, your riches won't sustain you. Your riches cannot buy you joy or buy you status. Friends, it is all fleeting and fragile and cannot hold the weight of trials. It is a cheap Substitute for the wisdom that comes from the glory of God. I cannot buy my way to understanding the connections of history and creation. I cannot bribe my way into wisdom. And my resources cannot shape my character to perfection and completion. And the one who is wise should say, I want that. That's what I want. My character shaped appropriately. Wealth does not deserve to hold my boast and it fails to the heat your identification with Christ must be the thing that you boast in whether lowly or wealthy do not succumb to the temptation that wealth or riches are the means to sustain you through trials if you have riches do not boast in riches if you do not have riches and find yourself lowly also do not put your hope in riches An empty hope is one that looks to the resources of material wealth and says, if only I had what they had. They cannot save you. They cannot bring you joy when you meet trials. They burn up. Whether lowly or wealthy, your identity should first, no, your identity should only solely be in Christ. His exaltation, his humiliation. You share those because you are in Christ. You can boast in those because you are in Christ. When you meet a trial, it is that identity that will have you enjoy. Not your resources, not your talents, not your bank account, not the size of your house or your 401k. It is your identity with Christ, your relationship with Christ, your connection to the giver. And friends, When you meet a trial and you don't count it as joy, may that be an alarm that tells you you need wisdom. That tells you you may be tempted with another allegiance. And when you need the eyes to see how this world comes together and how to act in it appropriately in a God glorifying way, when you need wisdom, ask God. He wants to give you wisdom, He gives generously. And friends, that is the best way to weather the trials. By asking the good giver for his wisdom. He desires to give it to you. The God who puts you in relationship with himself, the God who adopted you into his family, wants to give you all you need to weather the trials well. So in faith, in faithfulness, ask the good giver for his wisdom. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we ask you, the great and generous giver, to give us wisdom. Give us eyes to see how you have ordered the world. Give us an understanding of what affects what. What is in a relationship to what. How it all connects to the Creator God. How it all connects to the Redeemer God. Help us see how and what you're doing. Help us see how our trials can mold us. Give us an unwavering boast in our identity in Christ. May all other options for our boasting be temptations that we can reject. And may we be a people that is known for our boasting in Jesus. For our joy and the glory of Jesus. Our adopted brother, in whose great name we pray. Amen.